Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you, we love you. As we go to your word right now, we ask that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Not the words of man, but the word of God would go forth with power. Lord, you're a great and an awesome God. We so desperately need you. Help us, Lord, to learn how we can walk in your will, your way. And we follow the example we learned in tonight's text. I thank you for everyone who's here, those watching on live stream, those who watch on video later. Lord, use your word to pierce hearts. Be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen. If you don't have an outline, there are some on the back table. Um, It helps if you have one. Does anybody need one? You guys okay? All right. So as we've been looking through 2 Samuel, again, the transition from King Saul to King David, we saw that it took a seven-year detour in that early on that David only became the king over Judah after waiting 15 years. So he's king of Judah. Eventually, Ishbosheth, as we saw two weeks ago, dies. And now finally, they're, they've united the kingdoms all together. So finally, David, after waiting uh, decades, is finally the king over Israel. We talked about the fact that, you know, sometimes things don't happen in our timing. But our timing is not the right timing. God's timing is. Amen? And when you learn to be patient and trust in Him. And last week, we looked at the message that tells that seek, wait, obey. You know, God is working while we're waiting. Uh, we're moved by God's commands, not by the fear of men. We're called to serve others, not make a name for ourselves. We saw the seeds of a great future planted in times of great, uh, of great success, times of great difficulty, and keep seeking the Lord for direction. So now as we come to tonight's text, that transition continues. David is now in Jerusalem. If you remember, last, week, uh, last couple of weeks he conquered Jerusalem. He's made that the, the focal point, the home, the capital, if you will, of Jerusalem. But something's missing. Seventy years earlier, the ark had been taken captive by the Philistines when Samuel was a young boy. If you guys remember that, that, they took, that Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Eli, took the, they took the ark out into battle. But if you'll remember, once the Philistines captured it, if you guys remember what happened, it brought a great plague upon them. So they put the ark on a, on a, on a cart and sent it away. And from that time until now, the ark has not been with God's people. And God's people are not, you know, seeking the, the, the presence of the Lord. And so David, we're going to see tonight, is going to, has a heart to retrieve the ark and to bring it back home where it belongs. And so I tell the message, if you've got your outline, grab it, God's will, God's way. God's will, God's way. Guys, good intentions uh, are not enough. We need obedient actions. You know, it's been said that the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Just because you intend to do well, just because uh, your heart might be, quote, in the right place, if you do something that you believe you're doing is right and it contradicts the Word of God, you're outside of God's will. Can I get an amen? Amen. And we'll see that in tonight's text, is that we're going to see someone that seems to have good intentions, and they're going to be struck down dead on the spot. And we're going to see it's because just because you have good intentions doesn't mean that you're doing God's will. Hey, pray for a guy named Robert, a new customer. I love when I get new clients. I don't get them very often. That's why I was running late about Palmdale all day today. Ran home, changed out of my suit, printed the outline, and got over here. But I met him. We were talking about the Lord, and I uh, asked if he was a believer, and he said yes. And then halfway through the conversation, he let me know he was a Mormon. And we had a, you know, I'm very kind, nice, talked to him about the Lord. But I said, so you really think you're going to be God of your own planet one day? You really think that? 
oh, yeah, yeah, you know, we can, we can be God of our own planet. I said, you know, there's someone else who thought I was going to be God of a planet. His name is Lucifer. Amen. And you know what? This is a super nice guy, and he has good intentions, but he doesn't know the Lord. And guys, so I'm going to keep praying for him. He's my client now. I'm going to keep interacting with him. Really nice guy. Needs Jesus. You know what? Most of the world we live in today needs Jesus. Can I get an amen? But we've got to go beyond just, well, I just feel like it's the right thing to do. And we'll see that in tonight's text. So first, we're going to see good intentions, desiring to walk in intimate fellowship with the Lord. We'll see that having good intentions. Uh, we're going to see early on these guys who want to be used by the Lord and for the Lord. They have good intentions and desire. But the desire to do good thing must always be measured against the Word of God. See, we live in a time today, people will base truth on their experience in the world. Although look around and say, well, I think gay marriage is okay because, you know, I know a gay person at work and they're really nice. And so they think because that person's nice, then it's okay. Or I think that, you know, that this kind of behavior is okay because most of the world thinks it's okay. Guys, it doesn't matter if everyone says it's okay. It doesn't matter if everyone who does it are the nicest people you've ever met. If it contradicts the word of God, it is sin and it is wrong. Amen. So good intentions are not enough. We'll see that. Number two, we're going to see not knowing what God's word says may cost you your life. And the reality is it may cost you your eternity. But we're going to see in tonight's text, not going, knowing God's word is going to cost a man his life. Number three, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. The reason we have the mess we have in our country today, I was talking to my, my good friend Rob McCoy, and he, he defined it as an unbloody civil war. And we're kind of living in it. Can I get an amen to that? Our country is very divided into positions that we're taking. And even Christians are trying to convince me that voting for Bernie's okay. You know, sending me stuff. And I'm like, he's pro-baby killing. It's not okay. I mean, I don't have to, I don't have to go to step number two. If he's pro-baby killing, he's out. Amen? And, oh, by the way, he's, he's not pro-Israel and he's Jewish. Help me out with that. Can I get an Amen. But the reality is that we have people that tend to have good intentions, but oh, they're going to help the poor. No, they're not. They're going to tax the, the working to give to the people who won't. And the reality is, again, we want to we care for people, but good intentions are not enough, and we need to have the fear of God, and our country doesn't fear God, and that's why our country is in the position it's in today. Living in God's presence produces great blessing. We're going to see being in the presence of the Lord in tonight's text changes everything. And it makes other people want to desire to be where God is. You know what? When was the last time that you lived in such a way that people wanted to know the God you serve just because they see what God's doing in your life? Number five, when we faithfully do God's will, God's way, it not only blesses our lives, but those around us. See, when, we are, when we're obedient, God is glorified and we get blessed. And when we obey God, it not only blesses us, but it blesses those around us. And I'm not talking about stuff. I'm talking about God blessing our lives and using us for his glory. And then finally, when we love, serve, and worship the Lord with reckless abandon, we will always have those who criticize us. Guys, when you live out loud for Jesus, there's going to be people that criticize you. The Bible says, blessed are you. Jesus said, blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of things evil against you for my name's sake, for so they did the prophets who went before you. So when you live out loud for the Lord, there are going to be those who criticize you, and we'll see that in tonight's text. So let's begin there in verse 1, God's will, God's way. We're going to first look at 
good intentions, desiring and walking to intimate fellowship with the Lord. Again, desire to do good things must always be measured by the word of God. So it says there in verse 1, again, David gathered all the choice men of Israel, 30,000. Verse 2, and David arose and went with all the people who were with him to Baal Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, whose name is called by the name the Lord of hosts who dwells between the cherubim. Now, I love the ark. And it's, now, keep in mind, this ark is a box, not a boat. Can I get an amen to that? So it's a box, not a boat. And you know what? How many of you guys saw Raiders of the Lost Ark? They actually did a pretty good job of portraying what the ark looks like. And so if you saw that movie or if you've, you know, if you've been to Israel like I have, and you know, they've got the, you know, they don't have the actual ark, but they have replicas of the ark. And so the ark was significant because it led the children of Israel, and God used it, right, as a, a picture of his presence. Now remember that the ark, it was about, it's about three foot nine by two foot three by two foot three. It's not very, it's not very big. Two, two feet three inches, two feet three inches by three feet nine inches high. And in the ark were three things, if you remember, a jar of manna, reminding them of God's provision when they wandered in the wilderness, the Ten Commandments, right, the law of God, and also Aaron's rod, again, a picture of the great high priest. Now, Jesus fulfills them all because he is the bread of life, the manna. He is the great high priest, and he is the word. Can I get an amen to that? Now, the ark was in the holy of holies, and only the high priest could come into the holy of holies, and only on the day of atonement. And when they would come in, they would bring a sacrifice, the blood of the lamb, and they would pour that blood out sprinkle it on the mercy seat. Because see, the box was covered by a golden lid, if you will, a mercy seat. And on it were two cherubim and their wings touched. And so they were not to go into the Holy of Holies except on the Day of Atonement. But remember, the way they lost the ark is Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Eli, were actually going in and bringing women with him into the Holy of Holies. They were getting drunk in the Holy of Holies, and they took the ark and brought it out with them into battle against the Philistines, thinking it would force God to let them win. And instead, they lost the battle. The ark was captured. The Philistines didn't hold on to it very long. Remember when they put the ark in the place of their god, their god Dagon? What happened to Dagon? Dagon fell over. They picked him back up. They went back in the next day, and he fell over, and his head and, fo- head and arms had fallen off. If your God can break, he's not much of a God. Can I get an amen? So they finally, didn't remember, they, they had an affliction that came upon the Philistines. What was it? Who remembers? Well, tumors, and the word really is hemorrhoids. And they all said, you know what, dude? Get rid of that ark. It, our God's heads are falling off, and we're getting hemorrhoids. Get that thing out of here. So they put it on a cart, and they sent it away. And now David is going to go retrieve that ark. It represents the presence of God. By the way, I love the ark because it's a picture of not only the cross, his shed blood, but the mercy that covers our sin. And as we know, when, when the people ran into the tomb on, on Sunday morning, right on Resurrection Sunday, what did they see? They saw two angels on each end and a bloodstained cloth in the middle, the same thing that the, the, you know, the 
great high, the high priest saw when he sprinkled the blood on the Day of Atonement. So the Ark of the Covenant was always pointing to Jesus, and it was always pointing to the resurrection. So now David's heart is, we need to go find it. We need to go retrieve it. And notice he's got 30,000 guys with him. So he has built up an army. He now is no longer has conflict within Israel. There's 12 tribes who still have enemies on the outside. But he's going to mount up this army of people, and he's going to make the conscious decision to go bring the ark back into a place where it belongs, to use it to make sacrifices to the Lord, and to remember who God is and what God has done. Now, 1 Corinthians, I meant, or Chronicles, I mentioned that these are companions. And in 1 Chronicles, we get a little more detail. It says, let us bring the ark of God back to us, for we have not inquired at it since the days of Saul. So that means since Saul was king, nobody had sought the presence of the Lord, sought the wisdom of the Lord by being in his presence at the Ark of the Covenant, where God had called him to be. And it's amazing to me how God's people can live for decades and never truly seek the Lord. The comparison for us today is a Christian who never reads his Bible. Can I get an amen? So you don't seek the Lord. You don't seek direction from the Lord. God wrote it down for you. He delivered it to you. Lives have been destroyed. You know, people have laid down their lives to get this Bible into our hands. The Holy Spirit helps us understand it. And sadly, for a lot of Christians, it sits and collects dust most of the week. And so Israel was struggling because they were not seeking the Lord. And sometimes we as Christians struggle because we don't spend time in God's presence. So David's gathering his people wanting to go and gather the ark. And again, it's sad to think that this nation of God's people, how they had not taken advantage of the things that God had given to them, and they had not cultivated a close relationship with the Lord. So David has all 12 tribes. He's got 30,000 men. We've got the ark of the covenant. Again, uh, it has been taken away. It has not been in their presence for a very long time. We're going to find out where it's been sitting for the last 70 years and what a blessing it was on the family that had it. Verse 3. So they set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah in Ohio, the sons of Abinadab, drove the new cart. Do we have a problem here? What's the problem? It's never supposed to be in a cart. You know who put the ark in a cart? The Philistines. But we know that God's word commands that the ark was supposed to be carried by priests, and not just priests, but priests from the tribe of Kohath, and they were to carry it on with you know poles. So the two guys, the guy in the back had two poles in his shoulder, the guy in the front had two poles in his shoulder, and the ark was carried in the middle. Now, it doesn't seem like a big deal, but when God tells us to do something, we say, yes, Lord. We don't say, I got a better idea. Can I get an amen? <laughs> well, poles, I mean, we could use a cart. That's a, that's a lot easier. What if we just use a cart, Lord? No, God said we carry it this way. And God told us not how only was it to be carried, but who carried it. So what do they do instead? They, they get a new cart. Well, at least we got a new cart. And the reality is that too often that's what happens in the church. We're looking for a new method or a new fancy way that we think is better than what God has already told us to do. Do you know that churches would be better off if we would just teach the Bible and love people and worship? 
that we didn't try to entertain and we didn't try to get the best smoke machine and try to get the, the most hip and, re- you know, you, you guys obviously didn't do that, get the most hip pastor or whatever. And, you know, and people have a, a, this new way of trying to attract new people. I just saw, heard this on, on the radio, Christian radio, day before yesterday. There's a church, I don't remember where it is, but they, the church is all old, older people. And they told all the old people not to come to church for a year, to just stay home. And they hired a new young pastor in his late 20s, and they're going to try to reach young people, but they said, if all these old people are here, you'll just keep the young people from coming in. So they're telling the old people to stay home, because they're trying to attract all the young people. Is that tragic or what? But guys, we need to do God's things God's way, amen? And so they put it on a cart, and then they got guys to help walk alongside it. And it's interesting to me that Uzzah's name means strong, and Ahio's name means... means, uh, friendly. So strong and friendly are walking alongside this cart. And they've got, the, they've got it on a cart. They're carrying the ark. They're the sons of Abinadab. So it had been in his house. It had been in their home for 70 years. And God had blessed their home. And so these two young men who were walking with the ark grew up with the ark in their house. I don't know if it was in the, you know, was it on the shed covered with a blanket? I don't know. But it was on their property, and they were aware of it, and they were comfortable with it. But guys, they were comfortable with it in the wrong way because they had never consulted what the Word of God said. That ark had been in their house 70 years, and they never, they never took the time to consult the Lord or the Word of God to find out how it was to be transported. So it had been stored in their home from before they were born. It had arrived on a Philistine cart, and they followed the example of their pagan neighbors. See, the church is never to follow the example of the world, but always follow the commands of the Word of God. We don't follow the world's example. We follow what the Word of God says. The world sent it to them on a cart, so they just follow the world's example and put it on a brand new cart instead of obeying the Lord. We need to be careful not to follow the world, but to always follow the Lord. Had they read the word of God, they would have known that God had commanded the ark to be moved again, God's will, God's way. Not just God's will, but doing it God's way. So David wanted to do a good thing. He wanted to bring the ark back to Jerusalem. But the good thing, they did it in the wrong way. Good intentions, as I said, are not enough. Good intentions and obedient actions together. Uh, feelings and intentions never trump the word of God. I feel, I think, I believe means nothing. But I feel, so what? I think, okay. God's word says, amen? We'll talk more about feelings later. We'll talk more about emotions later. That as Christians, God created us to be emotional. Can I get an amen to that? But our emotions don't lead us. The word of God does. The Holy Spirit does. But at the same time, it doesn't mean we should be a bunch of emotionless robots. So here they are. They're doing a good thing. Let's get that ark out of that shed or wherever it's been for 70 years, and let's bring it back into its rightful place as a reminder of what God has done for us, the presence of the Lord. When we make sacrifices, sprinkling the blood, bring it back and have a, you know, a holy of holies where we can worship the Lord and obey his word. Verse 4. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on a hill, accompanying the ark of God, and Ahio went before the ark. 
Then David and all the house of Israel played music before the Lord and all kinds of instruments of fir wood on harps and on stringed instruments and tambourines on sistrums and on cymbals. So there you go, anybody who thinks that there's no music in the Bible or that thinks that we worship but we shouldn't use instruments. Uh, the Church of Christ believes that. I don't know what Bible they're reading. The Bible tells us clearly that there's instruments all over the Word of God. Amen? So this, here's what this is. This is a celebration, and they're coming out. We know that 30,000 soldiers, there's a big uh, marching a group of people. They're marching toward Jerusalem, and they're celebrating that they're bringing the ark home, and it's become a time of great worship and a great celebration. You can almost imagine the parade that's going by. And King David, in this case, he's not mentioned here, but I have an idea that he's wearing his kingly robes, he's standing off to the side, and as they're bringing it up the hill, you can imagine bringing a cart up a hill, and if you've been to Israel, it's rocky now, I can't imagine what it was like 3,000 years ago. And they're going up a, a rocky hill on dirt, and they're carrying this cart, and watch what's about to happen. Look what it says in verse 6. And they, and point number two here, not knowing God's word may cost you your life. So good intentions, desiring to walk in intimate fellowship with the Lord, to desire to do a good thing must also be, again, measured by God's word. Now watch what happens by not knowing what the word of God says. Look what it says in verse 6 and 7. And when they came to Nashon's threshing floor, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took a hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. So you can see this picture. They're going up a hill. They get to the threshing floor. Threshing floors were usually highly elevated. It was a place where they took the wheat and the chaff, and they would take the wheat after they harvest it, and they would throw it up in the air, and all the chaff would blow away, and all the wheat would hit the ground. And then they would gather all the wheat up and put it in bags, and they would use it to you know, make bread and things like that. So what happened is they get up to this threshing floor, and they're walking alongside this cart, it's being pulled by an oxen. The oxen stumbles. The cart starts to fall. And all Uzzah does, his name means strong. He's probably kind of a yoke guy. He sees the cart about to fall into the threshing floor. And he's concerned about it. So he reaches out and grabs a hold of it to keep it from falling. Sounds reasonable, doesn't it? Verse 7. Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah. And God struck him there for his error. And he died there by the ark of God. Whoa. Wait a minute, wait a minute. All he tried to do was balance the cart. All he was trying to do was keep the ark from hitting the ground. But guys, the word of God is so clear that the ark was to be carried on the shoulders of the priests and only priests from the tribe of Kohath. And even if we don't understand it, we obey it. Can I get an amen to that? See, sometimes we'll say, but the word of God says, well, I don't understand why it says it. Well, you know what? The truth is still the truth whether you understand it or not. Amen? And, and we need to just, okay, Lord, I don't fully get it, but I'm going to trust you, and you commanded it. Now, this seems kind of harsh. Let me ask you a question. You think anybody else tried to touch the ark ever again? Do you think this might have served as a warning to everyone else? Hey, bad idea. You know, it reminds me, you know, the Lord has a high standard for holiness. Amen? Who remembers uh, uh, Sapphira, uh, Ananias and Sapphira? Who remembers them, New Testament? What did they do? They lied about how much they gave. 
tried to rob God. So they came in and said, oh yeah, we've given everything. And God didn't ask him to give anything, but they said, oh, we've given everything to the apostles. And they lied. And then the apostles said, you know, his wife came first. Well, our husband came first and said, well, guess what? God's going to str- God struck him down dead on the spot. Then his wife came in behind him and she told the same lie. And she was struck down dead. And this seems really harsh, but again, when God does this, he's making a point to all of Israel. Amen? He's letting them know, the guys, obey me, because I know what's best for you. You've heard me say this. The law is not a fence keeping you out of Disneyland. It's a guardrail keeping you from driving off a cliff. Amen? It's not keeping you from fun. It's keeping you from harm. And the Holy of Holies is the only place where the ark belonged, and it was only to be carried by those who were called to serve in that holy place, and only they were to move it. And when someone else takes the place of the priest, like Saul did when he tried to make the sacrifice that only Samuel could make, when we try to take the place of the Lord, in a sense, right? It's a picture of the high priest. That's when righteous judgment comes. And so Uzzah reaches out, touches it, and he drops dead on the spot. You know why he died? Because he didn't know what the Word said. Because if he had read the Word, if he had read the, the Old Testament up to that point, he would know that you're not to touch the ark. You're to know that it's to be covered up. You're to know that it's only to be carried with poles on his shoulder. Here's part of the problem. It had been in his house for 70 years. And he had never probably held the reverence for the ark that it deserved. And a lot of us, we've had the Bible in our house for so long that all of a sudden it's not that big of a deal anymore. Have you guys ever seen that video of all the young people in China getting Bibles for the first time? Have you guys ever seen that? It's been on Facebook. And they walk into this room and they open up this, book, this box and there's all these Bibles in there. And these Chinese, Christian Chinese believers have never held a Bible in their hands, in their life, and they're picking these things up, and they're just weeping uncontrollably because they can't believe they actually have God's Word. And you know what? Every time I see it, I repost it on my Facebook page and say, Lord, give us the same passion for God's Word that you're giving them. Amen? But when something's around us and it becomes familiar, sometimes we we don't treat it with the reverence it deserves. I was in Russia handing out Bibles, and we were standing in a room handing out, we handed out Bibles, and a lady came in, it was my first time there, and she started shaking me and speaking to me in Russian, and I thought, uh-oh, this isn't good. And then the interpreter said, she's asking, do you have any more Bibles? Do you have any more Bibles? And, we, and I gave her a Bible, and she fell on her knees and said, my family has had one page of the Bible that we've had in our family for three generations because it was against the law to have a Bible. And we've read that same page on both sides over and over and over and over. And we've always wanted to know the end of the story. And now here's, you know, 1,100 pages. They've had one. And you know what? Every time I, that I'm around something like that, I go home and say, Lord, forgive me for not treasuring your word. Amen? We have so much access to it that it becomes common. Uzzah had been around the Ark of the Covenant. had been there 70 years in his house, and he didn't hold it with the reverence it deserved. He had not spent any time in God's Word to understand how to handle what God had given them, and instead they did things the way the Philistines did it. And he did it without knowing what the Word of God said, and because he didn't know what the Word of God said, it cost him his life. Guys, we should know what the Word of God says. Amen? Read the book, don't wait for the movie. You've heard me say that over and over and over. And we need to spend time in the Word of God. Guys, you're not going to know the God of the Word if you don't spend time in the Word of God. Holiness is that quality that God describes 
as absolute purity, glory, power, and the absence of sin. And from time to time, God needs to remind his people that he's not like us. The same reason he struck down Nadab and Abihu is the same reason he's striking down Uzzah, which is going to be the same reason he strikes down Ananias and Sapphira. It's when people think they can approach God apart from their sins being paid for. See, the ark was a place where the shed blood of the lamb, the picture of Christ on the cross, where blood was shed. And it was only that, that high priest that could come into pre- this picture of the presence of Almighty God. And guys, the reason we can't go to heaven without the cross of Calvary is that we're all sinners. Can I get an amen to that? So we're all sinners, and God can't have one sin in heaven, or he has earth part two, so we must be holy to enter heaven. So it's not us doing good things that makes us holy. It's Jesus' death on the cross, him paying the price for us, him redeeming us, forgiving us, adopting us, writing our names in the Lamb's book of life that makes us holy. And if we try to come before him on our own good works, we're going to be like Uzzah. He reaches out and touches what represents the presence of God without the sacrifice, without the priest, the priest picture of Jesus, who's the great high priest, who is seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding on our behalf. See, people read this, and if you don't understand context, that seems kind of rough that that poor guy was trying to hold up the ark, died. Well, no, it's because they did not treat what represented the presence of God with the honor and the glory that it deserved. Amen? And guys, the reason we have a problem in the church today is we don't treat the word of God with the reverence it deserves. God's word trumps everything. Amen? And that's why we study it. By the way, we will never have a Sunday or a Thursday here where we don't study this book. Amen? We're never going to do seven steps to financial freedom or three ways to overcome your anger or Beaver doesn't live here anymore this series. We're not doing that. We're going to teach the best book ever written by the creator of the universe. And this is the only book that's written where the author loves the reader. Amen? The author died for the reader. Gives us the Holy Spirit to understand it. Uzzah. Bro. Should have opened up the word of God. Your dad should have taught you. You had it 70 years. And again, so can you imagine though? So here's when this happens. Music's playing. There's a parade going by. They're carrying the ark to Jerusalem. It's a long distance. As they're traveling along and music's playing, King David's off to the side wearing his robes and all this is taking place. And all of a sudden, the ark's going up a bumpy hill. All of a sudden, it starts to fall off. The guy reaches out and touches it and drops dead on the spot. That kind of blows the parade. That kind of changes the whole atmosphere, doesn't it? And all of a sudden, there's a dead guy lying by the, because he touched the ark. And now David is wise enough to go, now, wait a minute, we might need to rethink this. Because if we keep moving, other people might die. And so David's going to take time. Point number three here, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Look at verse eight. And David became angry because of the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah, and he called the name of the place Perez Uzzah to this day. Now, He's angry because it doesn't seem fair that this man who was helping with the ark died. But David should have been angry at himself. He should have been angry with the, the, the spiritual leaders that they had, all the elders, because nobody read the word. 
Guys, we can't be angry with God for him being faithful to what his word says. Amen? He writes it down. He gives it to us. And then we want to be angry with him when we do something contrary to his word and judgment comes. Right now, I have so many of these going on in my life right now. There's so many of them. And, and, and I think any of them go to church here. You know, a lot of, I know a lot of people from a lot of places. I, you know, we're on five radio stations. I get calls from people all the time. And it's amazing to me how many messes are going on right now in, in families because their marriage was built on the wrong foundation. And they did everything the wrong way and did it in the wrong order. And now it's a complete and total mess. And then they're mad at God. I don't understand why God's allowing this to happen to my family. Well, weren't you guys shacking up for a long time? And, and wasn't, she wasn't saved when you got married. And your kids have been raised and, and you haven't taught. Guys, you did everything the wrong way. And you're not honoring God in your house now, but somehow it's God's fault. Guys, if we obey God, it doesn't mean that our life will be free from difficulty or trials. As a matter of fact, the word guarantees just the opposite. But the difference is, we'll be walk, the Lord will walk with us through it. Now, if you're going through a difficult time because of choices you've made in your past, here's the good news. Our God's a forgiving God. Amen? And He's a gracious God. And, you know, if you guys got married before you were saved or you were living together or whatever, you had children before you were saved or you've got multiple marriages, guys, here's the good news. He's a loving God, a gracious God, and a merciful God, and He can, and I would encourage you, if you're married to an unbeliever, you stay and you pray. Amen? And you want to be an encouragement to them, and we want to bring them to God's word. But the last thing we want to do is blame God because we disobeyed. Amen? Anybody ever disobeyed besides me? How many disobeyed this week? We disobey God. And, you know, it's like getting pulled over for a traffic ticket and being mad at the police officer. You were speeding. I was speeding. <laughs> I get an amen to that. We shouldn't be surprised. So here they are. They disobeyed God. And I'll tell you what, it got all of Israel's attention. They're getting ready to bring the ark up. Do you think they've got a different level of reverence for the ark all of a sudden? Do you think they're going, wait a minute, we need to figure out what we're doing. David's angry, but he should have been angry at himself and those who did not read the word. Look what it says in verse 9. David was afraid of the Lord that day, and he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? See, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, because David was angry, but then he was afraid. And he was afraid because he saw the power of God. Have you ever noticed when something, some kind of radical, this happens all the time. There's some kind of a radical uh, natural occurrence, a huge earthquake, a great storm of some kind. And then you'll have people show up at church or they'll, they'll start praying or they'll call. You know, I remember right after 9-11, our church in Santa Cruz was packed like tripled in size overnight. They didn't all stay. But boy, they came. And you know what it is? When you see the power, when you see something radical, or you see the power of God at work, you recognize how, how little you are compared to God. And you realize how little you can do compared to what God can do in the midst of difficulty. And here's King David. We finally have the 12 tribes together. We're having this parade. We're singing praise songs. And now Uzzah has fallen over dead and we're not even close to getting back to Jerusalem. And I'm afraid if we keep moving, more people are going to die. I don't know what to do, Lord. Do you know that's a great place to be? To be looking up saying, Lord, I don't know what to do. Lord, help. Can I get an amen? Lord, help. 
I don't know what to do. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. David's frustrated. How am I supposed to transport the ark? David's rejoicing in the Lord, you know, quickly became fear of the Lord, and we need both. We should rejoice in the Lord and have a healthy fear of God. Fear of God, again, is the beginning of wisdom. We are called to be people of faith, to trust God even when we can't see Him. And again, not through strength or friendliness, but awe and reverence for the Lord and His Word. Again, strength and friendliness were walking alongside the ark, and strength died, and we don't see friendliness mentioned anymore. What we need is the power of God and the presence of God. So verse 10. So David would not move the ark of the Lord with him into the city of David, but David took it aside into the house of Obed-Edom. And the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, for three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. Now, I would love to have video of this. Can you imagine you're trying to get the ark? There's a parade of thousands. You're singing praise songs. Uh, Obed-Edom, that, his house just happened to be nearby. Whether he was sitting on the porch listening to the praise songs or, or if he was a part of it. But he just saw the guy die. And so can you imagine the ark is near his house. They come up to his door. Hey, uh, yeah, we were taking this up to Israel. And then someone touched it and dropped dead. So we kind of like to keep it at your house. Can we just leave it here at your house for a while? And, you know, you can imagine, well, wait a minute. If people touched it and they died, how are we even going to get it in there? And I don't, if, if, I'm, if I'm sleepwalking at night, am I going to drop dead? And so you can imagine the concern that he has. But Obed-Edom welcomes the ark into his house, and it says it's there for three months, and the entire time the presence of the Lord is in his house, his house is blessed. You know, when the presence of the Lord dwells in our house, we're going to be blessed. Amen? When we invite him into our home, when we spend time in prayer, when we worship him, have you, have you ever been to houses where you walk in and you just know the Lord's presence is there? Amen? We walk in and you just know it. I love going on sales calls and once in a while I'll get surprised. I'll walk in. Sometimes I meet people at their house and I'll walk in and they got praise music playing, playing. And it just changes the whole place, doesn't it? There's worship music. And so here he is. He's got the, the Ark of the Covenant. The thing they brought out into battle to win battles. The presence of the Lord. It went into the Holy of Holies. The, the place where they made the the. The blood, spread the blood of the Lamb on the mercy seat on the Day of Atonement, and it's in his house. And it's there for three months, and his entire family is blessed. I wonder what he said to David. Why do I deserve such an honor? Or did he say, dude, keep going, I don't want to die? I don't know. But he brought it into his house, and I would encourage you, Bring the Lord into your house, amen? Make him the priority of your house. I pray that when people come to your home, they would know that the Lord is the Lord of your home. Just how did God bless Obed-Edom? If you go to 1 Chronicles, it says that his sons, his gatekeepers, and uh, his children were all richly blessed from multiple generations. And again, 
to me, his, I believe his wives and maybe his daughter-in-laws all got pregnant while the, the ark was there. God multiplied their family. God blessed them. It could have even been that they were unable to have children until God's presence was there. It says in Psalm 127, in the Song of Ascents of Solomon, Unless the Lord builds the house, they that labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early and to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he gives his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the room is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are children in one's youth. Happy is the man whose quiver is full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies at the gate. This man was called to care for the ark. What's interesting is we find out later on in Chronicles, guess what? This man who's got the ark in his house, he's from the tribe of Kohath, and he's from a priestly line. It could be that David took the time to ask, where where does the ark belong? He may have known, hey, it can only be carried by poles and only by people from my tribe. And that may be why they brought it to his house. It may be why he welcomed it into his house. So now it's in a place, it's not the place where David wants it to be, but again, they're finally, it looks like they're finally seeking the Lord, and the one who invited God's presence into his house was blessed. I pray again that the Lord is present in our homes. Point number four there, look at verse 12. Now, it was told King David, saying, the Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom, and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with gladness. Now what's interesting, you know why he gave him the ark? Because people died. Uzzah died near the ark, so he gave him the ark. Now he finds out that the house where it stayed has been richly blessed, and now David wants it back. David's like, well, hey, When it's killing people, I don't know what to do. And now that I recognize it's a blessing. But at the same time, again, we should live in such a way that people see the way God blesses us. I'm not talking about stuff, but the way God blesses us, the joy that we have in our lives, that it should provoke unbelievers to jealousy. They should want what we have. Why are you so different? I'll never forget, years and years ago in San Jose, they were going to have layoffs. And a bunch of people in the office that had low, uh, lower uh, seniority, and I was one of them, we were going to be the first ones to go. And they were deciding who was going to be laid off, and people were panicking. And God used it because this one gal in the office came over to me one day, and she said, you know who's not panicking? There's six people in this office not panicking. You know who it is? There's six Christians. You guys aren't panicking. Why aren't you panicking? Because God's in control. Amen? Because he's Jehovah Jireh, Lord God, our provider. He's going to provide for us. He's a faithful God. See, guys, we should live in such a way that people will be blown away by the faith that we have and by the understanding that we have and the joy that we have and the blessings that come from the Lord. Look, I'm, I'm going to vote in every election, but ultimately it doesn't matter who wins because God's still on the throne. Amen? We should vote biblically, but trust that God's on the throne no matter what. Now, he brought up the ark. Now, David hadn't understood what had happened when Uzzah was killed. He thought he was doing a good thing. He wanted to have the ark in the capital. And the writer of Chronicles gives us a hint 
that while at Obed-Edom's house, somebody must have decided to search the scriptures and find out what went wrong, and then they needed priests to carry it. And again, it wasn't the ark that caused Uzzah's death. It was how he handled, handled the ark. There's a lot of people that will have the word of God, and they will mishandle the word of God, and it will lead to separation from God. Because they will try to make it say what they want it to say instead of what the word of God says. The ark represented God's holiness and his presence, and it was Uzzah's sin and disobedience in dealing with the ark that brought about his sudden death. The righteous judgment of God that he would serve, would serve as a warning to all of Israel. So the ark represents the holiness of God, and David left the ark with Obed-Edom, and his family was blessed. And again, what kind of God would send good people? We hear this all the time. Here's happening right now. It's very popular right now. What kind of God would send good people to hell? Do we hear that? There's pastors saying it. Aaron Rodgers, the quarterback for the Green Bay Packers who grew up in a Christian home, just said, I don't think I'm a Christian anymore because what kind of God would send good people to hell? I'm praying for him. Open his eyes. He's from Northern California where I'm from. But people are saying this because they're using their mind to judge God. Finite men trying to understand God. And here's the problem that we have. Just like right here, they didn't understand. Why would God let Uzzah die? I don't understand. God's righteous and holy. God is using this to teach people. But you know what? God doesn't send one good person to hell because there aren't any good people. Amen? I'm offended. I'm good. You're good compared to some people, but we're not compared to people. We're compared to Christ. How are we doing now? Amen? The Bible says there's none righteous. See, they're mad that Uzzah was judged, and people are mad today because they're trying to understand infinite God with finite minds, and they're trying to say, how dare God send good people to hell? By the way, God doesn't send anyone to hell. We send ourselves there when we reject the cross of Calvary. He desires that none should perish, no, not one. Amen? And so they're challenging God when Uzzah dies because they don't understand the character of God, and people today challenge the word of God because they don't know the God of the word. Every believer this side of heaven should be burned for every unbeliever this side of hell. We should reach out to them in love and grace and mercy and let them know nobody has, you don't have to go. Jesus died for you. I remember talking to somebody said, it's not fair that God made us with a sin nature and then we sin and then we have to go to hell for sinning. That's not fair. And I go, what do you think would be fair? I don't know, but I don't think I should pay for it. Well, maybe God should pay for it. That's what I said to him, getting my haircut. Maybe God should pay for it. Yeah, God should pay for it. He did name's Jesus. Can I get an amen to that? And so we need, to under, we need to be on God's plane where we don't try to tell God what to do. We try to obey what God has already told us to do. Amen? And they, they were told to carry the ark a certain way, and he died, so they questioned it. People today don't understand, so we question God. Guys, we don't question God. We bow before God. Amen? It's interesting that his name means strength, and he died. And I think if we try to come to God in our own strength, we try to come to God in our own abilities, that we're going to be shocked that it means absolutely nothing before the Lord. See, God doesn't, man looks on the outward appearance, and God looks on the heart, and he sees hearts that are separated from him, and that's why he had to go to the cross to die in our place. Guys, if we come before him humble, broken, and repentant, in obedience to his word, 
we will be made holy and righteous through the shed blood of the Lamb, and we will enter into fellowship with Him, be adopted into His family. He will be our Father, and we will be His children. But sadly, they tried to come in their own strength and failed miserably. Look at verse 13. It says there, And so it was, when those bearing the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, that he sacrificed oxen and fatted sheep. I want to contrast the first trip with the second one. So the first trip, they put her on a cart. They got the guys from the house. They're playing music on the way. They're on their way to, they're on their way to Jerusalem. And as they're on their way, the cart starts to fall off. Uzzah grabs it and drops dead. Now, there's some things they continue to do the same way this time. We're going to see that they continue to have a worship team going in front of it. Praise leading the way, amen? Judah means praise. When you look at the 12 tribes of Israel, Judah's always in front. Praise leads the way. Praise leads us into God's presence. It's the reason we begin every service with praise. We want to praise the Lord, worship Him as we come into His presence. And so they've got, I think that it's probably even a bigger parade this time. they got all the people out there. They're playing songs. They're playing music. They're worshiping the Lord as the cart is being brought to Jerusalem. But there are some things they did different. No cart, no Uzzah, no Ahio, all gone. They're not the, Uzzah's dead. The cart's probably been broken into pieces by somebody's axe. And, and now they're bringing the ark the right way. So what was same was the production, the crowd. By the way, some people think if it's a big production, it's more of God. Or if it's a big production, it's less of God. You know, it's not how big the production is. It's not how big the church is. It's whether or not the Holy Spirit is there and if God is the one speaking. Amen? And so God can use great huge things and great huge things can be empty and God can use small little Bible studies and small little Bible studies can be empty. So this great big production continues to take place and again, God moves in both the great and the small. So what's different is uh, the cart's gone Uzzah and Ahio are gone, and the priests, those called and gifted by God, faithfully to his word, are leading the way. So we got now it's on pulse. Now we got priests from the tribe of Kohath. Somebody read their Bible. Could have been even the house where it was stayed. And so now they're bringing it the right way. They've got praise going before them, and they're going up to Jerusalem to bring it into the tabernacle, the new tabernacle that would be placed there. But I want you to notice something. What does it say there in that verse? It says, they had gone six paces and he sacrificed oxen and fatted sheep. They took six steps and they stopped and they made a sacrifice before the Lord. Do you know in the language written here, I believe that they stopped and made sacrifices every six steps all the way to Jerusalem. I have no idea how far it is, but there, is there a different level of reverence for the ark now all of a sudden? Do they, are, they, are they just throwing it on a cart and rocking behind it? Or are they carrying it? It's covered. They're honoring the Lord. And every six steps, they're stopping to have reverence for God, to make sacrifices to the Lord to honor God as they're carrying it, to make sure the focus is on the Lord and not on on them. It's not on the king. It's not on the worship. It's on the Lord. And he's stopping every six steps to make sacrifices to the Lord. No sacrifices were mentioned in the first attempt at all. No seeking of the Lord was mentioned. No consulting God's word was mentioned. And all of those have been done this time. 
Now, we're going to see David participate, and he's going to catch some static for it. Look at verse 14 and 15. Then indeed David danced before the Lord with all his might, and David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of a trumpet. Now, this also happens a lot, and we had, I had someone recently that challenged me on this and finally left the church. They said that worship is supposed to be somber. When we worship, we must be somber. And I'm like, can you give me one verse where they're worshiping and they're somber? I see trumpets blowing. Have you ever heard of a somber trumpet? Have you ever heard of worship where you just, it's just this, it's like a dirge. And the reality is, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is, and is to come. That's what's being sung in heaven right now. Amen? And they're not being quiet about it. Amen? And here they are, and David is dancing before the Lord. And I, this, that same person, I showed her this verse, David's dancing. Well, that's in the Old Testament. That doesn't count. It's in the Bible. Now, I want to say this. Let me take two seconds. With worship, there's two extremes. Somberness to the point, I, 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 go to a, I have someone I'm related to, whenever I go visit them, we go to their church, and they have worship like that. And I really can't even call it worship. It's painful. They believe if you're emotional, you're in sin. You should just be... Every three steps, hit yourself with a board in the face to prove you love God. You know, and it's just this dirge, and it's so like, yeah, hey, let's go to your church. I'm excited about the things of God. It's painful. Now you have that extreme, but then you have the other extreme, where emotion is off the chain. And the emo- now again, there's to be emotion, but it should be done decently and in order. Can I get an amen? And here's what that means: we can lift our hands, we can praise the Lord. But we don't want to ever be in a place where we take the focus off of him and place it on us. Does that make sense? So the Bible says we raise up holy hands if you feel led to do that. The Bible says that we worship. And by the way, if you don't have an emotional relationship with the Lord, I feel sorry for you. Because you know what? I'm in my car singing praise songs to the Lord, and I'm in tears. And when I think about what the Lord has done for me, it grips my heart. And you know what? There should be some emotion. You know, he hung on a cross and died for us. He, he, he sweated great drops of blood as he prayed for us in the garden. Amen? Amen? And so he's got emotion for us. It's okay to have emotion, but here's the point. We don't, we're not led by emotions, and we're also not void of intellect. Can I get an amen to that? But you have the extreme where it's all intellectual with no heart. That's painful. And then there's some with our heart, all heart, and no understanding, no intellect, and that's a mess. So, you know, if you worship God here, now if you show up at church on Sunday, uh, you know, with, with, uh, with a, a drum and uh, a flag and you're running up and down the aisle, we're going to have a chat. Because what happens then is you're taking the focus off the Lord and now it's on you. Amen? Santa Cruz, our church got pretty large and, and uh, there was one woman that really liked to dance a lot. And I said, okay, but do it in the back. And so she would stand in the back and dance before the Lord. As long as she didn't take the focus off the Lord, okay. So David is dancing. Now here's what I want you to notice. He's in a linen ephod. You know what that means? He took off his robe as the king. He took off the crown and he set it down. 
And you know what he's doing? He's walking with the people, and he's not like having a dance all by himself. He's literally walking amongst the people, and they're arm in arm, and they're dancing before the Lord as an act of worship. And David has put away the fact that he's the king, and he's come down, and he's worshiping God with the people. See, I think that's awesome. Amen? That it's, because he's saying, look, I'm the king, but it's not about me, it's about him. The focus isn't on me, the focus is on him, and I'm going to worship the Lord. And by the way, some people say, well, David was dancing naked. He wasn't naked, he's wearing an ephod, and it's not his chonies, he's not just wearing little, you know, underwear. Please don't show up and dance in your underwear on Sunday, we're not doing that. Can I get an amen? But he was wearing a linen ephod, which is something that's not, it's not something that's showy, it's not something that draws attention but he's completely covered up. Like I said, you can wear whatever you want to this church, just wear something. Can I get an amen? But the reality is that David is down there and he's worshiping with them and he's taking, the focus isn't on him, the focus is on the Lord. Boy, that should be our heart. So if, as you worship here, just make sure, if, you know, you worship however you feel led to, just don't let the focus be taken off of the Lord and we're going to be fine. Can I get an amen to that? So let's worship the Lord. It's okay to cry out to the Lord, but let's make sure we don't take the focus off of the Lord. So David was focused on that. He had a true emotional link with the Lord. And again, the two extremes are, are stoic and emotion, emotionless people. And then you have the people that, uh, that they're emotionally detached. And then you have people that are so driven by emotion. I've had people tell me, yeah, we went to church and we got so whipped up in emotion, we didn't have time for the word of God. That's when I know it's not the Lord. Amen? Because the Lord's never going to interrupt his word. Amen? So true worship is found in both an emotional connection and an intellectual understanding of who God is. And I would say this, when was the last time that your time in the Word or your time of worship brought you to tears? Again, not an overly emotion-driven action that takes the focus off of the Lord and places it on you. We're not to touch the glory, but an open and humble, thankful and broken heart before the Lord. And David was not holding back in his heart to worship the Lord. And again, neither did he have some emotional excess. By the way, I hate when people use manipulation to get people emotional. That's not biblical either. You guys ever been to a place where they start playing music a different way and they're blowing in stuff to try to get you emotional? You know what? I want to be moved by the Holy Spirit, not by the environment. I want to be led by the Holy Spirit, not the environment. Can I get an amen to that? So we won't do that either here. Let's finish up. So continuing on here in verse, uh, verse 15. So David and all the house of Israel brought the ark up. So now the ark is there with shouting and with the sound of a trumpet. Again, it's letting everyone know. Again, having sought God, now doing God's will, God's way. Uh, they were filled with great joy because they obeyed the Lord. Point number five. We faithfully do God's, word, God's will, God's way. It only, not only blesses us, but those around us. Look at verse 17. So they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in the place in the midst of the tabernacle that David had erected for it. Then David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. So the first thing he did, again, it's now in the place it belongs, and he continues to use it to make sacrifices, to, make, to honor the Lord, to be mindful of the Lord, to be faithful to the Word of God. But watch what happens as we continue on here. Verse 16, Now the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, and Michael, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw the king, king David leaping and whirling before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. 
So Michael is his first wife. Remember, she was married to somebody else. Saul took her from, from, from him and gave her to another man. And then when David became king again and made that, the treaty with Israel, he said he wanted his wife back. So he's, his wife is brought back, and she sees him through her window as the parade's coming into Jerusalem, and she sees David through her window down there dancing amongst all the people as an act of worship. And when she saw him, she despised him. And it's amazing when sometimes when God's doing a work in your life, often your greatest critics are the people closest to you. Oh, you're so fired up about God now. What do you, you know, what's up with you now? What, what happened? Okay, you went to a retreat, big deal. And sometimes you get, there's people that are critical. And here is this wife, and instead of seeing that he's taken off his robes and he's coming in humility and he's honoring the Lord and he's worshiping God, she looks at him and she despises him. Guys, when we unashamedly worship the Lord, there will always be those who look down upon us. And Michael, I believe, is upset because David dared to take off his crown and royal robes and enter into worship with the common people. And we're going to talk about this in the last few verses here, but here's what I think happens. She's the wife of the king. If the king takes off his crown and takes off his robe and just numbers himself amongst the common people, what does that do to her? Maybe she thinks they won't honor me as much because David, you know, my, the, the king has made himself like the common people. And maybe I'm going to lose some of my position and some of my esteem. And she despises David because David is only focused on the Lord and she's focused on how it impacts her. And guys, whatever we go through, I don't, whatever trial we go through, whatever difficulty we go through, the focus should always be How can God use this for his glory? It's not about me, it's about him. Amen? Whatever it is we go through in life, let God use it for his glory. Verse 17. So they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in the place in the midst of the tabernacle that David had erected forth. And David offered burnt offerings before the Lord. I had skipped 16, had to catch up. And then David had finished offering burnt offerings and peace offerings, and he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. When the ark came into Jerusalem, it blessed not only David, but all the other people who were there. Verse 19, then he distributed among all the people, among the whole multitude of Israel, both men and women, to everyone a loaf of bread, a piece of meat, and a cake of raisins. So all the people departed, everyone to his own house. So David celebrates the ark, God's presence, that is now in Jerusalem, Having faithfully done God's will, God's way, David first makes sacrifices to the Lord, places his focus on the the Lord and then on his people and not on himself. So here's what happens. I think all those sacrifices that were taking place every six feet, by the time they got to Jerusalem, they had a big barbecue. And we see here that he blesses all the people. They're all celebrating together. A loaf of bread, they got some barbecue meat, and they brought out cakes of rain. And they're, they're having an agape feast. They're celebrating. We have one on Sunday. They're celebrating that the presence of God is there. They're celebrating that the presence of God has returned to Jerusalem. They've worshiped the Lord all the way there, and now they're having a big meal together, and they're celebrating the blessings that God is near. What's well, a wonderful thing. We see that picture so clearly here in this text. A godly man's focus should never be on himself, but upon the Lord and his people. And here David blesses the people and points never to himself. You've heard my six-word philosophy of ministry. It's preach the word, love the people. We want the best fed and most loved people 
around. Final point. When we love, serve, and worship the Lord with reckless abandon, there will always be those who criticize us. Michael's not done yet. Look what happens in verse 20. Then David returned to bless his household, and Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How glorious was the king of Israel today, uncovering himself today in the eyes of the maids of his servants as one of the base fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. Think there's any sarcasm in there whatsoever? How glorious the king was today. You know, he's so excited about what God has done. He's marched a great distance and made sacrifice every six steps. They're worshiping the Lord. Trumpets going before them. The ark comes into the place. They have a huge agape feast. And he comes home and his wife says, Well, you really, really, really uh, represented yourself well today, David. And starts criticizing him as soon as he walks in the door. Lord help us, amen? But again, when we're serving the Lord, there will always be those who criticize us. And again, I want to make it clear that even though she says he shamelessly uncovered himself, he was not inappropriately dressed. He was dressed the same as all the other priests who were with him, and they were marching through. He just did not have his kingly robes on. He didn't have his crown on. He was just being like everyone else. And she was upset that he made himself less by removing his royal garb, and somehow she believed that would make her less respected. Last three verses. So David said to Michael, it was before the Lord who chose me instead of your father and all his house. Hello. (laughs) Here's what he says, and this is a great point. He was worshiping, she mocked him, and basically what he says is, Michael, it was for the Lord, not for you. I was worshiping him, not you. My focus wasn't on you at all. I was praising the Lord. I was seeking after his face. And all you saw was how it impacts you. My focus is on God and your focus is on yourself. By the way, he made me king instead of your dad. Is that what he just said? By the way, the God who made me king, not your dad, that's who we're talking about. I'm worshiping him and your dad was removed as king. It was before the Lord. David wasn't dancing to make Michael or anyone else admiring him. He was dancing out of love and worship to the Lord. I did it for God, not for you. The same should be true when we give or when we serve. Amen? Anything you do, do it for the Lord. If you're handing out bulletins at the door, hand out bulletins for the Lord. If you're staying afterward and vacuuming the floor, vacuum for the Lord. When we stayed afterwards and made 11,000 packets, we're doing it for Jesus. Can I get an amen? When you serve in the children's ministry, serve for the Lord. When you lead worship, lead worship for the Lord. It's not for us, it's always for Him. And it's not to attract attention to us, but to point people to the Lord. We come to please God, not ourselves. Look at what happens with poor Michael here, consequences of her behavior. He says, the father of all his people, to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord, over Israel. Therefore, I will play music before the Lord. By the way, I'm going to keep playing music. I know you didn't like it. We're going to play more music. Look at the next verse. It's going to get even more radical. He says there at the end of the, the next verse, and I will be even more undignified than this and will humble in my own sight. But as for the maidservants of whom you have spoken by them, I will be held in honor. He said, look, I'm going to worship God even more radically than you saw me worship him in before. And when the world tells us to keep it quiet, this should be our response. Can I get an amen to that? 
When the world says be quiet, when the world says keep it to yourself, we should be unashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the apostle Paul said. And David said, hey, we're going to play music louder in the future. We're going to crank it up for the Lord. We're going to worship God with reckless abandon. And Michael, I'm not doing this to please you. I'm doing it to please the Lord. Last verse. Therefore, Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. Isn't it interesting that in the house of Obed-Edom, the ark was there for a short time, and their family multiplied. And then someone else mocked the presence of God, and she never had any children. Some commentators think that David might have told her, I'm done being intimate with you. Part of the problem, you got seven other wives. Can I get an amen to that? <laughs> He's like, with that attitude, you can go sleep by yourself. And that, I don't know if that's what happened, but she was unable to have children. And unfortunately, again, she missed out on God's blessing. So God's will, God's way. Good intentions, desiring to walk in intimate fellowship with the Lord. The desire to do a good thing must always be measured against the word of God. Number two, not knowing what God's word says may cost you your life. We cannot follow God's word if we don't read it. Amen? The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Since consequences cause us to turn to God's word for direction and to our knees to seek forgiveness. Living in God's presence produces great blessing. May we walk so close to the Lord that it provokes others to jealousy, to want to know the God that we serve. When we faithfully do God's will, God's way not only blesses us, but the people around us. Point people to the Lord. Never focus on yourself. And when we love, serve, and worship the Lord with reckless abandon, there will always be those who criticize us. Lord, we thank you. We praise you. We love you. We thank you for the word of God. Lord, help us to live lives fully surrendered to you. Not just lives of good intentions, but lives of faithful obedience to your word. Lord, I pray for anybody here tonight that's going through trials and difficulty. May you comfort them. For those of us who may be walking outside of your will, draw us back unto yourself. We can take a million steps away from you. It's only one step back. Lord, we pray for divine appointments in our workplace, in our neighborhoods. We pray even now for the 11,000 packets that are going to go out door to door. We pray for the people delivering them. We pray for the people that will receive them. Lord, we pray that your kingdom will be added to, and Lord, that you will be glorified. Lord, we love you, we praise you, we worship you. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said...